Great, if you will take your Bibles and open to the book of 1 John, our passages um, in chapter 2, what Colt so wonderfully read earlier today for us. Last week we, we started in verse 5 of chapter 1 and made it through ch- verse 2 of chapter 2. We talked about uh, this group of people that were going around making some false claims and John was writing to believers trying to encourage them with his own Counterclaims. This group of people were claiming to know God, yet continuing to choose to live in darkness, to live in sin. And John said, hey, there's no room for that. In fact, if you say you know God, yet choose to continually live in sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And uh, so I was thinking, though, this past week, you may have been thinking to yourself, if it's possible to make false claims about knowing God, Is it even possible to know for sure that I'm saved? Is there assurance for those who say they believe? Or do we have to wake up every morning hoping that we're doing the right thing um, and hoping that by the end of the day we've done more good than bad to make sure God still likes us? Well, I want you to know that it is definitely true to know that you're saved. There is assurance. And one of the ways that we'll find in our passage today to know that we can have assurance is by our obedience to God and his commands. In fact, John's purpose in writing this letter, we won't make it to chapter 5, but but in chapter 5, he tells the purpose of his writing the letter. He says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. His purpose to these believers is that they would know that they have eternal life, that they could have assurance and feel secure in their salvation. So today, uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, we're going to learn that one of the ways our assurance can be found um, is in our obedience, okay? Now, before we go any further, I want to say up front that obedience to God does not bring about our salvation. So we're not talking today about salvation by works, okay? So let me say that. Faith in Christ alone is the only thing that accomplishes our salvation, our justification, our being moved from being condemned before God to being righteous before him. There's no way that we could ever be good enough to make up for the sin in our life to help God love us enough to accept us. No, it's his uh, initiation. He initiates, comes to us, calls us to himself. And when we believe in him, faith in him and in his son Jesus, he forgives gives us, makes us righteous, cleans us up once and for all. It's good. You're solid. You don't have to worry about losing it, okay? But obedience as a pattern of life does give evidence that we have been saved, okay? So that's where we're going today. Um, Our passage, 1 John chapter 2, and in that passage, we're going to find five ways that we can know that we know him, Okay, let's start with verse 3. This is where we left off last week. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So how do we know that we know him? Number one, if we keep his commandments. Now, does that verse sound familiar? Because Jesus said almost the exact same thing in John's gospel in chapter 14 and 15. In chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, in chapter 15, he said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Well, so it's pretty simple. If we keep His commandments, we know that we know Him, right? So here's a question for you. What are His commandments? You know, I was talking with a, a couple the other day, and they said, okay, so, so what do you do then? What are God's commandments? What does he want us to do? Well, we could always start with the Ten Commandments. That's pretty famous. Okay, those probably sound familiar to you. You shall have no other gods before me. This is found in the book of Exodus, by the way. It's the second book of the Bible. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. That's one of my favorites. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. You guys know those, right? In the New Testament, Jesus clarified those for us, or at least gave them to us in a little bit shorter version. Uh, he was tested by this group of religious people called the Pharisees. Uh, this other religious group called the Sadducees. They had some really neat names for gangs back then. Um, the Sadducees attested Jesus, and, and he kind of shut that down. They didn't fail. So the Pharisees, they were like, well, look, let me give it a try. I'll test this guy, Jesus. So look, in Matthew 22, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, isn't it funny they included that? You know, like he wanted us to know this guy was really not a dummy, okay? He was a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said, Look, there's a lot of laws and commandments in the Old Testament. Have you ever read through all of that? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's a lot of things that they were supposed to do. And Jesus says, look, if I could take the whole law and, and narrow it down to love the Lord your God above all else. He's number one. And then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you'll do those two things, You'll, you'll obey all the rest of the commandments and the laws, okay? So love God and love people. If we don't love God and our neighbors above all else, yet we claim to know God, verse 4 in our passage says that we are liars and the truth is not in us. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the truth and the truth is not in us, then Jesus is not in us. That's, that's third grade logic. I mean, I think that's okay to say that. We know that we know him when we keep his commandments. So that's number one. If we can set aside everything and love God above all else, above even our spouses, even our children, even our jobs, even our popularity, even our money, if we will set him aside as above all else, and then if we will go around loving people like we love ourselves, then we can follow Jesus' commands. All right, so we continue. Now, we're just going to look at the first part of verse 5. It says this. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So how do we know that we know him? Number one, if we keep his commandments. Number two, if we keep his word. Well, what is his word? I want you to know this Bible is his word. It's simple for me. 
This Bible is God's word. He's chosen to use this book to reveal himself, to teach us about who he is. This is the way he's gone about to do it. There's a lot of people out there that will try to convince you that this isn't the word of God. They don't believe in miracles. So they say anything in this book that has to do with the miracle, you've got to cut that out. They don't believe in creation. So they say that whole thing is just a myth. So they begin to go and, and they don't believe in that there's one divine God. So they say this really couldn't be that. The crazy thing to me is that it, this Bible, Christians, the church, didn't make up the claim that the Bible is God's word. The Bible claims that. The Bible claims that. Over 3,800 times the Bible says, God said, or thus says the Lord. So either all the guys that wrote this book were off their rocker, and they seriously were convinced that they were speaking the words of God, and they were just crazy, or B, they were lying. And they were trying to deceive anyone who would ever read it, which is very ironic because this Bible, written by a bunch of liars who said they were writing God's word who weren't, is responsible for the most moralistic living for the last thousands of years. Wouldn't that be strange? No, this is God's word. God created the world through his word. God sent his word. The John 1 says the word was there in the beginning, and then the word came in the flesh. God saved the world through his word. And then God gives us his word to teach us about him and teach us how to live. This is God's word. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God has spoken to his people through his word. Joshua 3, 9 says, Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Isaiah 59 says, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth. Those words shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Did you know that there's been multiple times throughout history that people have tried to erase the Bible from history? Yet today, it's still the best-selling book of all time every single year again? Come on, y'all. Deuteronomy 12 says, everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. That's in Deuteronomy, early in the Bible. Revelation, the very end of the Bible, says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to this church there in Thessalonica, and he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This is God's word. Are you keeping his word? Please don't assume that you know and are keeping his word if you don't spend time in it. The only way for us to know who God is and to know how he wants us to live is in his word, and if we got to read it, to know those things. Spend time in his word. He has a message for you, a specific message. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. This Bible does something to you when you read it. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So today I want you to know, I want you to read his word. I want you to know his word. I want you to keep his word. And when we do, it will help us to be assured of our salvation. Let's continue. Second half of verse 5 in our passage says, By this we may know that we are in him. 
Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do we know that we know him? Number one, we keep his commandments. Number two, we keep his word. Number three, we walk in his ways. So what are his ways? Well, I can tell you these keep adding on to themselves because number two, if we keep his word, we would know his ways. Number three, we walk in his ways. John chapter five, Jesus leaves the party, leaves the big festival, goes out to this pool next to the sheep gate where all the sick and lame people would lay. Every once in a while, an angel would come down, stir up the water in the pool, and whoever jumps in first gets healed. No questions asked. It's an incredible story. You really should go and read it. John chapter 5. Jesus leaves the party, the big festival, and finds himself at this pool, not by accident, I'm sure, where all the sick and the lame people are. Probably doesn't smell all that good. They're all hoping to get into the water first. To be healed when an angel would come down, he meets a man who's been at this pool for more than 30 years. This guy is sick and lame. He's been laying by the pool for more than 30 years. He says, when the angel comes down, Jesus, I can't get in first. I'm too lame. And nobody wants to help me get in because they're all trying to get in first so they can get healed. So no one wants to help me. Jesus meets this man. He takes care of him. He heals the man. The man that's been laying by this pool for 30-something years gets up and walks away into town, into the festival. Jesus changed his life. John chapter 4, one chapter before that, Jesus makes his way to a well in the middle of town at noon when no one would be there except there was a woman there. Pretty sure Jesus didn't uh, happen upon this woman by accident. She was a sinner, right? She had had multiple husbands, and the man she was living with at that time wasn't even one of her husbands. Yeah, he knew that, but he loved her, and Jesus changed her life, saved her. On the cross, one of the men beside Jesus, he was being crucified for sins that were actually against Jesus. Yet when he believed and asked Jesus to remember him later, Jesus goes, yeah, I forgive you, and I'll see you tonight in paradise. Jesus saved him. Are you following in the ways of Jesus? Jesus was loving. Jesus was forgiving. Jesus spent time with the sick and the needy and the sinners. He didn't go around judging them. He didn't go around saying, I don't have time for that. He didn't go around saying, I've got way better things to do. In fact, he left the good things to do to be finding himself in a pathway to be having a face-to-face conversation with some of the most needy people on the earth, and he changed their life for it. My friend James wrote a song once about searching for Jesus in high places, you know, in castles and cathedrals with stained glass windows and their gold ornaments. He said, I've been searching high to find you, but I have been so wrong. I should have known to look among the lowly, to see your holy presence ever near the last and least. Your touch brings peace and hope. I should have known to look among the lowly. Jesus was about bringing love and peace and hope. Jesus was about building his father's kingdom. He wasn't about building a worldly kingdom seeking after material things. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who don't need a doctor. I didn't come for those who don't need to be forgiven. I came for the sick and the sinner. So how do we know that we know him if we walk in his ways? Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. 
because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already starting to shine. How do we know that we know him? If we keep his commandments, if we keep his word, if we walk in his ways, and number four, if we are being changed. John says this commandment is true in you. He said it's already being true in the Christians that he's writing to. It's true because the darkness is starting to pass away and the true light is already starting to shine. They were changing. They were becoming new people. My friend Jimmy was telling me the other day about a guy that he knew that was not a Christian before he got married and he married a Christian woman. And eventually he became a Christian. He said, it's like Justin 2.0. He's like a completely different person. I go, yes. That's what happens when we become a Christian. God creates in us a new person completely. Like we're totally different. If I were to go back to my high school people, from 20-something years ago, they would not believe who I was because I am a completely different person. They would say, Brian, there's something different about you. I'll go, yeah, yeah. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, as anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Many of you know Steve Pettit, really good friend of Sid's, has been with us many times through the years at Heritage he once told me a funny story of a young man he led to Christ on a Thursday night. And then on Friday night, the young man went out and did all the same stuff he had always been doing. And at about 3 o'clock in the morning, he got home. He called Pastor Steve and said, Pastor Steve, I need help. It didn't work. He goes, I'm still doing all the same stuff I did. Steve said, two nights ago, you didn't even know that stuff was wrong. It worked. He said, it's 3 in the morning. Go to bed and call me tomorrow, and we'll talk about it. He goes, you're changing. God changes us. He makes us a new creation. And little at a time, he starts chipping away all that old stuff. It might not happen the first night. We're still going to struggle because we got that flesh in us. But he changes us. He can't not change us because when he takes residence in our life, things have to go differently. Okay? It would be like if I were to come into your home and live for two weeks. Your home would change. I am very, um, what's the word? Particular, thank you. That's, that's a good word. I am very particular about my environment, okay? And if your environment didn't look the way I wanted it to look and I knew I need to live there for two weeks, it would change. When Jesus came into my heart, trust me, he looked around and goes, this ain't going to work. And he started moving things around and changing, throwing out all the bad stuff and started changing me. That's what he does. He makes us into a new creation, we won't make it to chapter 3 of 1 John, so I want to read this to you. Chapter 3, verse 6 through 10 says this, No one who abides in me keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. One of my study Bibles, that's one of those real big ones, you know, it said this. It says, John is not teaching the possibility of sinless perfection. He is merely indicating that the person who has experienced regeneration or new birth will demonstrate righteousness in daily living. 
The expression, he cannot keep on sinning, means the true believer cannot sin habitually or deliberately. The truth of the believer's sonship and eternal security should never cause him to think that he can live in deliberate, continual sin. Those who do not practice righteousness give evidence that they do not belong to God. Are you different than you were before you knew Jesus? Okay, then you know Jesus because you're changing. That's one of the things that helps us to be assured. I'm not asking you if you're perfect. I'm just asking you if you're being changed. How do we know that we know him? If we're being changed. Our last, uh, last way that we know that we know him is found in verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. He walks in the darkness, and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. How do we know that we know him? Number five, if we love our brother. In John's gospel, we read the words of Jesus in chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a pretty high standard of love because if we uh, remember, Jesus died for us. That's the kind of standard he wants us to uh, keep when we love one another. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not only will our love for others assure us that we know him, it will assure others that we know him as well. That's how they'll know that we know him by the way that we love each other, by the way that we love one another. Love is one of the greatest fruits of the true believer. If we know him, we love him. If we love him, we will obey him. And if we know his love, then we will love others. Are you loving others? That's the question. Not just those who are easy to love, because everybody loves those people. I mean, even the people that are sometimes difficult to love. Are you quick to forgive, or do you hold grudges? Sometimes we even do that with those that we really do love. Have you ever held a grudge against your spouse? Have you ever held a grudge against one of your kids? What about your coworker, your buddy, your girlfriend? Jesus was quick to forgive. Are we meeting other people's needs? Wonderful opportunity this morning with this hurricane to be able to meet other people's needs and to put them above ourselves, to put others' interests in front of our own interests. Or is your life mostly about you? Do you wake up thinking about what can I do to make my life better? How can I build my earthly kingdom? What kind of things can I attain to make me happy? If you know Jesus, you will love others and put them first. So how do we know that we know him? Five things. If we keep his commandments, if we keep his word, if we walk in his ways, if we're being changed, and if we love our brother. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. It's really crazy. As I was reading this morning in the book of Job, just in my own reading Job is known as maybe being one of the oldest books ever written in the Bible. And in chapter 11, listen to what it says. 
verse 13 through 15. If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity, if sin is in your hand, put it far away. Get rid of it. And let not injustice dwell in your tents, in your home, in your heart. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. Even in the Old Testament, if we will put sin away from us and get rid of it, we can look to God, allowing Christ's righteousness to be imputed on us, and we can feel secure in our faith and not have fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So can we have assurance in our faith? Yes. And our assurance can be found in our obedience. And here's the gospel, though, from last week. But what about when we do sin? Do you remember our passage from last week? As we made it to chapter 2, we read in, in verses 1 and 2 this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We, we do have an advocate. When we do sin, we fall on our face and we say, Jesus, we messed up again. But I know that you led me because I know that you're changing me. And I'm trying my best to keep your word and to keep your commandments I'm trying my best to love my brothers and sisters, so forgive me, and please go before the Father and plead for me. And what does he plead? Remember that? He doesn't plead anything about what we've done. He just tells the Father, hey, Father, remember, I paid for his sins on the cross, and we're all good. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's our hope. <laughs> the one who shows us the way is also the one that, that fixes it when we mess it up. I remember when Ainsley was born, we were living in Nashville, and uh, everything was great. We'd come home, and she would just lay there, you know. She didn't move. I gained 30 pounds, because all I would do is sit in the chair and watch her, you know. She didn't move. Then she started to try to walk, okay. I remember this was before the iPhone, because I remember this video was on one of those actual video cameras. It must have been one of the last ones we ever made. Probably no one will ever see it because, you know, we have no way to get it off of this camera and, and text it to people. When she started to walk, you know, we had been showing her how to walk. We didn't even know it. You know, I, we would walk across the room and she'd watch us. I didn't say, hey, one day you're going to walk like this and take one step in front of the other. No, she was just watching and learning and I would walk, and then she stood up, and then she started to walk, and everything in my home, to me, became a weapon to hurt her, okay? The, the edge of the TV console, we had to throw away the coffee table, because it was right in the middle of the room, you know? It was, there's no reason to have the coffee table when, you're, when your little baby is learning to walk, and, 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 and as she would grow, even like the countertops, she'd run her head into them. And so I would walk behind her everywhere. I mean, I was always had my hand ready. She would, it just looked like she was going to fall. You know what I mean? Even when she didn't, I thought she was. I said, she's not very good at this. And Brooke would say, she's going to be fine. And, and, and that, was, that was what it was like, though, when Jesus, because I was there for her every time she would fall. And in the same way, Jesus showed me how to walk. He taught me his ways. He showed me his love. But, but when I mess up, he's right there to catch me. He's right there to pick me up when I fall. 
He fixes things. He pleads for me before the Father, reminds the Father of the blood he shed on my behalf at Calvary. And then we keep moving ahead in faith. He's done an incredible work in the lives of believers from history on. When he comes into our life, he changes all kinds of things. The question today is, are you one of these people that John was writing to, a believer who's needing to be encouraged about the assurance of your salvation? Or are you one that doesn't yet have that salvation? And you go, I can't be sure because I don't feel that God has entered my life and made those changes yet. Then, then that's a huge deal. Because if you don't come to terms with the God of creation, the one true God, then, then the implications for that are eternal. And when I say eternal, I say, and what I mean is the Bible has a lot to say about the day of the Lord and that one day he will come. And he wants to wait as long as possible because his love is for all people and his desire is for as many as possible to come to know him. But there will come a day where that will end and he will divide those that know him and those who do not know him. And everyone will enter into eternity, one into heaven and one into hell. That's a really scary thing. But let me tell you, the best thing about salvation isn't just escaping hell. The best thing about salvation is eternal life with God the Father and the life he allows us to live in him now on earth. And if you don't have that, you are missing out on the most unbelievable life God wants to give you. Today is a day for you to make that decision, amen? Let's pray. Next week, we'll pick up right here. Father, we love you and we love your word. We're grateful for it. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit because he teaches us while we read so that we will understand properly. Help us to hear your truth this morning, Father. I pray that it will convict us where we're wrong. I pray that we will walk in obedience to your commands so we can be assured the salvation you have given us. Thank you for grace and for mercy. Thank you for forgiving our sins and for the cross. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.